0: Welcome to the Dylan Experience. Today is episode 60, and I've got a special guest for you today. Before we get to that, make sure you like, subscribe, follow follow the page, follow the podcast, make sure you're uh, sticking with us. But my guest today is an Army veteran who served six years with the Army National Guard, including a deployment to Afghanistan in 2010. His brother was also deployed to Afghanistan at the same time, but was unfortunately killed in action on August 22nd, 2010. After returning home, I guess struggled with coping from stress, the stresses of combat, the loss of his younger brother and adjusting back to civilian life. In the years following his deployment, he noticed other veterans dealing with their struggles in unhealthy ways. He started his podcast, the drive on podcast, which I've had the pleasure of being on to connect with current and prior service members. He interviews veterans and civilians to discuss personal triumphs, life experiences, and emotional hardships to give hope and strength to the military community. My guest today is Scott DeLuzio. Scott, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for
0: having me on. I really appreciate this opportunity. Absolutely, we finally get a finally get a chance to have a conversation about about you this time. You know, we had a lot of conversation about me last time, so um, I'm excited to hear your story. I'm excited to hear. Um, you know, almost it's almost paradoxical. I'm I'm excited to hear about. A, quite a tragic story, but it's, I think, really profound that you've, you've found a way to step out of what I think is a really difficult thing to do, right, where you have this loss. And so often, we, we like to put things behind us and and forget about it and move on. Um, but I think grief just doesn't work like that. I think grief has to be discussed, it, have, it has to be processed, it has to be, you know, people have to be remembered. Um, and so without getting too deep into that, I'd love to hear you talk about this. Tell me your story. Why'd you, why'd you start your podcast? Why'd you, why are you here? Right. Why are you doing this right now? Um, you know, tell me, tell me everything.
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, like you said, I served in, in the military and when you serve in the military, you whether you know it or not, you become part of this community, this, this group of people, we are all looking out for each other. Um, it, it's just part of the deal when, when you're in the military. And when I got out of the military, I noticed not only was I struggling with my own depression and PTSD and uh, dealing with the loss of my brother, uh, all of that stuff took place within a very short time period. Me leaving the military, losing him, all of that stuff was was all within less than a year time period. And so, um, all of that kind of just came and hit me all at once. And so I found myself dealing with all that stuff in in unhealthy ways. I was drinking too much, sleeping too little. I was just a terror to be around. I was angry all the time. I I wasn't dealing with my anger in a healthy way. I was just lashing out and and being a jerk to the people who were around me. And eventually I I got some help and I, I realized, you know, this is not the type of person that I want to be. I want to be better for my wife, for my, my kids, for my family, for the people who are around me. I just, I want to be overall better. I, I don't want to be this person anymore. Um, and then after, after a little while, our, the unit that I served with overseas, we started losing uh, several soldiers to suicide when we got back home. And, you know, obviously one is too many. Uh, but when there's another one, and then, you know, you start hearing of more and more people who you served with, whether it was overseas or or back home uh, here, uh, you know, that that I served with uh, before or after the deployment, it it just didn't sit right with me. And I I, I said, I can't just sit around waiting for another phone call saying that so-and-so was killed uh, or or took their own life, I should say. Um, That to me just didn't seem like an acceptable option. And so I said, okay, what can I do? What can I do to help this situation? Because it's more than just the handful of guys that I served with. Uh and I say guys because I was in the infantry. And back when I served, it was just guys. So um you're not not trying to uh you know exclude the ladies from this. They they have their own uh you know representation in in all of this mess as well. Um but I didn't I didn't want any of those guys to uh, be going through this alone. But more than just that, I, I re- recognize that it was a problem throughout the entire military community. There there were people, uh, veterans, even going back to Vietnam veterans, who were still dealing with the issues that they came home with. Uh, there weren't the services that are available today to veterans back then. Uh, they were basically told, suck it up and deal with it. And, and they had to continue living their lives and dealing with all that stuff for all those years. And People were not dealing with it in very healthy ways. So I, I said, "How can I help? What can I do?" And so I decided to start my podcast, the, the Drive On Podcast, which you mentioned earlier. And through that podcast, I my goal was to talk to other veterans, to share their stories, their hardships, the things that they've experienced. Um, you know, we when you were on, we talked about your background and, and things that you went through. Um, but more importantly than, than just the, the troubles, the hard things that people went through, how did you make it through that? What what caused you to flip the script and say, okay, now I, I'm going to work towards becoming a better version of, of who I am? And the idea there is to give hope to the other veterans who might be struggling in their own ways, maybe struggling in silence, not talking to other people. And by having them be able to listen to these stories, it might give them hope and let them say, there is a path to a better life for me. Maybe I can do this thing that this person that I heard on this podcast had done, and maybe that'll help me. Or maybe something just resonates with them and it clicks. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, life is worth living. Uh, Yeah, I don't don't need to call it quits right now. I, I can keep going. And really, that's, that's where the name of the podcast was, you know, in, in the military drive on is like, you know, you're going through some, some crappy situation, maybe it's a you know, a tough mission that you're going through, or, or, uh, you know, even in training, it's like a long ruck march that you're going on and, and it just sucks. And it's like, well, just drive on. You, you can, you can get through this, right. Yeah. But you'll be able to finish this. So um, that's really where the name came from uh, of this podcast is like, I, I want people to know that they can keep driving on. There is hope for them. There is something that, that is worth fighting for. So, um so that's, that's really where all of that came from. Um, you know, I, I also, wrote a book about my experiences in Afghanistan, losing my brother, uh, all that that stuff that you talked about. Uh, The book is called Surviving Son, and that that book exists for a few reasons. One is, you know, my brother's not here to tell his story anymore, and I want to be able to tell his story to whoever will listen, or in this case, read uh, his story. And I also wanted to tell my story, my little piece of this war that we we participated in. And let that be something that will outlive me. It obviously outlives him, um, but outlive all of us so that future generations can, can read about what we did, read about the types of people who served and understand the sacrifices that were made so that in future conflicts, uh, we really understand what it means to send troops overseas. Uh, and, and what that means on a individual level uh, when you you look at the families that get torn apart when when one one or more of them don't make it home you know? right. so so that's kind of kind of the, the podcast of my book in in a nutshell and and kind of where I got all of the uh, motivation for doing what I do so I,
0: I have so many questions um, <laughs> I'm gonna start with this one because I know if I don't start here i'm gonna forget um, when you know when we do what we do, right? Because you and I both run podcasts and we both have written books and we both have, we're doing things. We're actively trying to, to help the people that we're trying to help. Where does the motivation remain? Or, or where do you kind of like, obviously you, you talk to so many people, like where do you kind of garnish this, uh, this persistence to do all of this? Because this is hard work right? And it yes. doesn't always pay off right now, right? Like this is sometimes, you know, unfortunately, what, what we kind of deal with is we're, we're speaking to people, but oftentimes the people that are listening are not speaking back to us, right? And so we right. have this, this kind of difficult conundrum of, do I even know if I'm making an impact on people by doing this work, right? So where does that kind of persistence go for you? Or come from? Where do you derive it? How do you how do you kind of continue to do this? Um, because it's hard work.
1: Yeah, it is definitely hard work. And there is, as far as this side of the screen is is concerned, there's no financial incentive for me to do this. I'm not making money off of this. I'm not getting yeah. rich. And and I'm no, I'm no Joe Rogan. You know, getting a you know top podcast or anything like that. I'm not getting these multi million dollar deals. Um, I'm doing it honestly because there might be someone who stumbles across my podcast, who is at the end of their, uh, their options. They, they feel like they have nothing left and they come across this, or, or maybe one of their loved ones comes across my podcast and here's something that resonates with them. And that keeps them around another day to fight another day, to, to keep on going and and living. I don't need to hear from that person personally to, to know uh, specifically what that person was going through uh, to know that that person was about to pull the trigger or about to take that leap or whatever the situation was and end their own life. I don't need to, to know the nitty gritty details of all that. I know that there are people out there who don't want to reach out and tell the world everything or even one person everything about what they had going on. Yeah. Um but I do get every once in a while I'll get someone who tells me things like, you know, I needed to hear this today. Like I really needed to hear this. And without saying it, they don't need to tell me that they were you know on that that edge. I know that whether they were on that edge or not, it helped that person that one time and that to me just means the world. And as far as I'm concerned, this is really just a, a, an act of service, the same way that you might serve people uh, at a homeless shelter, you know, s- serving food or or something like that. To me, I'm I'm giving back. Maybe I'm not seeing the individuals. Uh, I do see the the numbers of downloads and, and things like that. So I know that there are people listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, do I know that it specifically helped? Joe Smith from Tulsa, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know, and it doesn't, to me, that doesn't matter, um, I don't need to know everybody's individual stories, I just know that there are people who might still be here today, because I heard something on my podcast that has helped them, and that is all the reason that I need to to do this, and to keep doing it, um, at, at, by the time that this episode comes out, I'll be over 200 episodes, uh, over three, oh, yeah probably four or no three and a half years in or something like that uh, you know by the time this episode comes out so uh, i don't feel like i'm slowing down anytime soon um, yeah. as, if anything I, I started at the beginning of this year i i started going to two episodes a week for from one episode a week so if anything i'm speeding up and i'm, I'm gonna just keep pushing and getting as many different messages out there as possible to help as many different people as i can um You know, and that's, that's really it for me is I, I I just want to help people, Um, you know, um, you know, if they, if they want to share their story with me, great. Um, I've actually had a couple guests who came on uh, the podcast. They've never told anyone, even some close family members, they never told anyone their, their story and the amount of detail that they went into on the podcast. And after we recorded it, they said that it felt so good, like that weight coming off of their shoulders, that they were actually able to, tell their story and and get it out there. Um, you know and and at the time it was just them and me. It wasn't like a live recording or anything like that, but it was it was just them talking and getting it off their their chest. And you know that to me means a lot too because that person might have continued carrying on this this weight of whatever it was that that happened to them uh, for years and years to come, never having known that how it feels to talk about it. And that might have even encouraged them to go out and, and talk to other people to talk to, you know, someone professionally, uh, right. to get more help and stuff like that. So I mean, all around, I, I feel like it, it's just helping people. Uh, and uh, that's ultimately what I'm trying to do.
0: And that's, it's a hell of a thing. That's, a, that's absolutely a hell of a thing. Um, I, I want to go back to, like, the beginning of your story. Um, you, you kind of, you kind of glossed over, uh, you, you went and got help, right. You, you know, you said you went and got help at some point. Yeah. What, what was it that kind of tripped that trigger of I need to get help? You know, what were, what were the things that were going on in your life that you were sent? You finally had to sit down with yourself and say, I need to hold myself accountable here because I don't know what's going on. Um, I've got issues. What, what was that? Like, what what was happening with you for you because of you? Like what were the things that were going on?
1: Yeah. So I noticed that my anger was just off the wall, out of control. Like it was, it was bad. Um, I would blow up at the smallest little things. Um, My, I had a, when I deployed, my son was only about two months old. And when I came back home, he was, uh, nine ten months old somewhere around there i forget exactly uh but he would do things that little babies you know infants toddlers what you know as he got older things that they it's just normal they they spill things they make a mess they they're not easy to console because they don't know why they're crying but i i certainly don't know why they're crying and you're, you're trying to figure all that stuff out and then i'm i'm beating myself up thinking that I'm, I'm a terrible parent because I don't know how to console this kid. And, um, they're, they're making messes and I don't know how to, how to deal with that because I told him not to spill it. And then boom, he spills something. And, and it, so I'm, I'm flipping out, I'm yelling at a kid and I'm like, what the hell kind of person am I? Like, this is not who I was back, you know, a year plus ago, you know, uh, prior to deploying, um i i would never be screaming at a kid for stupid stuff like that um my work was suffering i i went back to my civilian job uh, that that i left to deploy um you know being in the national guard we we have civilian jobs as well and i felt like I couldn't relate to any of the people that I worked with anymore. And and these were people who I previously had gone out and, you know, gone to happy hours with, we went to lunch together. We, we would hang out and do things together. It, It was a group of, you know, group of people that were just enjoyable to be around. Um, and I got there and I was like, I don't know who these people are anymore. And it wasn't that I didn't know who those people are. I knew exactly who they were. They didn't, they didn't change. I was the one who changed. Um, and so there's all these changes going on. but the the day that I realized that I gotta cut this crap uh, and I gotta go talk to someone and get some help, uh, was the day that my dog, uh, she got sick and she was in our bedroom, and the way our bedroom was set up, there was a the master be- uh, bathroom was like right off the bedroom. And master bathroom, nice tiled floor, hard tile floor, and the uh, bedroom was white carpet that was there. And she got sick and she threw up just like maybe two, three inches from the tile floor on the white carpet. And I flipped out. I'm yelling and I'm screaming at this dog who, by the way, is sick. I'm not making the situation any better, but I'm screaming at this dog on my rate. I'm like, why the hell couldn't you go in there? And it would be so much easier to clean up. And now I got to go get a steam cleaner and clean this up. Otherwise it's going to stain and all. Like the dog doesn't understand a word I'm saying, right? It, she doesn't have a clue, but I'm losing it. I'm just losing it on this dog. And, and when, I, when I realized what I was doing, I was like, who did I become? What is this? Why am I screaming about something that's so insignificant in the grand scheme of things? Like who cares if I have a little stain on the carpet? Like it's not that big of a deal. Um, and so I sat down on the floor, And I was like, just trying to figure out what is wrong with me. And like any good dog would do, my dog came over and like sat up sat down next to me and kind of like cuddled against me, completely forgiving me for being a total jerk to her. Um, And I was like, this is the type of person I want to be. I want to be more like my dog than whatever the heck I am right now. I want to be the type of person who can forgive and, and come and, and, comfort the person who I care about. And so the next morning I, I got on the phone, I called uh, the vet center. Um, and uh, for anyone who's not familiar with the vet center, they're affiliated through the VA somehow. I'm not entirely sure how, but they offer uh, counseling services and and grief and services and all, all that kind of stuff too. And I, they, I was like, you know what, that, that's they, probably exactly what I need.
0: They offer so much, right? Like just yeah. like the vet center is, is kind of the hub of all of the resources that you could possibly think of as a veteran. And so like, if you, if you are a veteran, you're listening to this, go there, right? Like, don't just call yeah. them, go there and, and see. And just, cause it's not, it's not staffed, you know, and I, I don't know how it is for every state, but I know like it, they're not staffed with just like just any old people. They're staffed with people that, you know, are oftentimes veterans themselves yeah. Um, and not only that, but they're veterans who've been educated. They're people that have been educated on how to how to give you the resources that you need, no matter what kind. Right. And so there's multiple people that are educated in, you know, loss and grief and trauma versus financial education and, you know, like business and, you know, how to, how yeah. to get started in terms of like a VA loan or something like that. There's so many different ways you can use a vet center for your benefit as a veteran. And I highly recommend just going there because you can create relationships with people that can yeah. very much support you.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you're right. There are so many different things that they offer and it's not just for veterans either. Um, it's families; yeah. uh, th- their families are, are eligible and, and things like that too. So if if you're going through things and you need some help uh, go, go there and, and check it out, you know? Yeah. Um, but when I called and made the, the appointment with them, I didn't have a clue what I was getting myself into. I didn't know what the the <laughs> sessions were going to look like. I, it, so it was in a way it was kind of scary because I, yeah. you know, I had this, this vision of, uh, of me walking in and then, you know, locking me into a padded room and, and uh, you know, putting the, the straight jacket on and all that kind of stuff. But it, it wasn't that at all. It, it was, I I walked in, you know, it was like, uh, you know, I, I was just talking with someone and, and getting the the stuff off my chest and and working through, and they helped me not, it wasn't just me talking. It was helping me process through all the stuff that I, I was going through. Um, but, but after that initial phone call, just making the appointment, I, it, it made me feel better because I knew that there was going to be someone who could help me work through all of this, that it wasn't all on my my shoulders. I still had to do the work and I still had to figure out what I needed to do. But this person that I was going to talk to was going to help me get through this. And so it made me feel a little bit better that I didn't have to carry the weight of the world on my own shoulders. There's someone else, not that they were carrying it for me, but they're going to help show me how to carry it the right way um, and, and deal with it. So that right there helped tremendously. But, but over time, they helped me deal with uh, my insomnia, and they helped me deal with the anger issues that I was having, which a lot of the anger issues, quite honestly, came from the fact that I wasn't getting enough sleep. So I was waking up uh, tired, cranky, angry, irritated, all that kind of stuff. And so let's figure out what the root cause is what's going on. Let's let's work on all of that stuff. And so they the the guy that I talked to, he like you said, he was a veteran uh, himself. He served in Iraq previously. He he knew a lot of what was going on in in my head, and and he was able to help me process through a lot of that stuff. Um, and and it really did help me a lot. Um, I, I went there for close to two years. It wasn't quite two years, um, but when I stopped going, the the person that I had been talking to all that time, he was moving on to another location, um, out of state, and I was also. It was around the same time that I was moving from Connecticut, where I lived at the time, to Arizona, where I am now. And I thought I'm doing pretty pretty good right now. I think I'm doing okay, and you know, maybe not 100 the way the way I was before, but um, I think I got this from here. I, th- I think I can handle where where I'm at. And so I stopped going to see anyone for a few years. And uh, after coming out here to Arizona, I noticed myself slipping back into some of those old habits. I was, I was drinking more and more. I, I wasn't sleeping very well. I was getting irritated and angry and, and all that stuff was just starting to creep back up. And so when I started noticing that happening, I said, okay, I need to go and get more help. Um, You know, in addition to all of that other stuff, it was there, I was also dealing with depression and, and things like that. And I didn't want it to continue because I knew just from talking to other people uh, and knowing about what things that they went through that you can spiral down really quick. Once, when you, you get into this, this kind of situation, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to, uh, you know, get myself down in that, that negative spot again, so I, I went and went back to the VA and I I got more help. And and if I'm being completely honest, I'm still going and getting help. Like I, it's not like a, a one and done kind of thing. I, I still go and I still get treatment. I still get, you know, go through different therapies and things like that. And it it's all in an effort to uh, be a better version of myself, to to be able to process and deal with the things from my past in a, a healthy way and not rely on numbing the pain with alcohol or with, uh, you know, laying in bed at night at two, three, four o'clock in the morning, just staring at the ceiling, wishing I was able to sleep, you know, but, but I can't because I got all these other thoughts running through my head or whatever. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a continuous process. And for me, it's one of those things where I, I need more than just what I had earlier. So I, I was like, this is just the way it is. It it it's a process. It's not a um, like when you break an arm, you go to the doctor, you get a cast, and you know, a few weeks later the cast comes off, and boom, you're good. Uh, you don't need to go back for follow ups to make sure that your arm is still healed, like it's healed. You're good. Um, but with mental health, it it's a little more fluid. I I found it, it. Things happen. Things like triggers will will take place, and it that'll set you off potentially. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a matter of learning how to deal with those triggers, deal with the emotions that you're feeling, and, and you might need some help along the way, and, and it's okay to go and get help. And, and that's, that's the biggest lesson that I learned throughout my journey with, uh, between the Vet Center and the VA and, and places like that. It, it's just okay to ask for help, and I, I think that's the, the important message I like to get across.
0: And it's it's quite a different message than I I assume a lot of veterans get or feel, right? Because it's, you know, especially the wars that we've come from and the past that the, you know, the military has, has come from, it wasn't okay to ask for help at one point, right? And that's why we're here. That's why we're in this situation where, you know, when you asked for help at a certain point, you know, in the history of the military, in the history of these, you know, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, Vietnam, um, you, you were not given the help one because it didn't exist or two, there was a stigma. There was, you know, this, um, this reputation that you retained. Um, and so I think now more than ever, that has very much changed, right? Like yeah. that, that stigma, you know, in the military, it still exists, right? I'm, I'm not going to deny that it does, but I think the military as a system itself, right? How we are approaching it as a system itself, we're forcing it to be less of a stigma, right? I think you've got leaderships like the current Sergeant Major of the Army right now, or at the time of this podcast in May, um, has, has been very outspoken about how, you know, this will not affect your career if you, if you ask for help. Or if you get help, right. um, it will not affect your security clearance. I've heard him talk about that multiple times. Um, having mental health issues is not a, a major problem for the military, assuming you can be willing to stand up and say, "I need help." Right? When when you know mental health issues become a problem is when you haven't asked for help, and it becomes a, a glaring issue where you've become a toxic leader or you've you commit suicide or you, you know, you do these things that are, um, to the extreme when all you, you know, all you have to do is take a step into the people that actually do care. And that's maybe the hard part is how do you determine the people that won't create a stigmatized conversation or a hard, you know, won't make this conversation any harder than it already is. Um, and that's a that's a fair kind of assessment for for veterans or even current currently serving military members, is how do you start that conversation, um, and and ask for help and you know, I'm I'm curious like you've you've talked to you know by by the time this comes out you'll be 200 I assume close to 200 people, um, I'm sure some of those episodes might have been by yourself but that's a lot of people and so what do you think You know, by by listening to all these people, what do you think is the right way to go about finding the right people that could understand your situation? You know, in in the your situation, as in like the overarching veteran kind of situation.
1: Well, you know, I I think I want to talk to the the leadership uh, side of things when you have someone like the sergeant major of the army that you were talking about, who is so strongly for mental health services, showing that it's okay to go and get mental health treatment if you need it, um, that's leading by example. That's that's showing people that it's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it needs more than just that top level. I, I think it needs to be down to the squad leaders, team leaders, the, the platoon sergeants, the you know, people like that to let it be known that it's okay to go and get help. Let their, their troops know if you are struggling with something, that means that you're not on top of your game. When we need you to be, you might be dealing with something and and you're not a hundred percent here when, when we're training, when we're out on a mission, when we're, whatever it is that we're doing. And we need you just like we need you to go to the gym and get yourself physically fit we need you to get yourself mentally fit so that you could be on top of your game when, when, when we need you. Um, and uh, I think for those, those leaders um, you know, they, this obviously is not a requirement, but I think it wouldn't be a bad idea for them to share their own experiences with some of their, their junior uh, soldiers or, or whatever uh, branch we're talking about here to let them know, Hey, um I'm not going to be in today. I'm, I'm going off or, you know, I'm going to be out for an hour or whatever, because I'm going to, uh, my, my therapist for, for an hour or something like that, you know, and and just lead by example and say, Hey, it's okay. I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, that, that to me, I think is, is huge in reducing that, that stigma because if the, that NCO that you're looking up to, you know, I, I know, a lot of private specialists, you know, they, they look up to some of these, these people as almost like they're, they're gods or, you know, at least like a parent figure. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and you look up to these people and it's like, okay, well, if it's okay for that person to go and do this, and it's certainly okay for me to go and do this. Um, I know when I was in, this was, you know, 2005 to 2011 time period, um, it was kind of like just suck it up and deal with it. Like, no, like going to to talk to someone is kind of showing weakness uh, is, is the way it was perceived. Um, You know, I know when we came back, we had like mandatory mental health screenings that that we had to go through. Um, But nobody really told the truth during those, those screenings. Right. It it was like, yeah, yeah, right. I'm going to tell you what I'm really going through because you know, you're, you're worried about your, your career and your job and everything. You don't, you don't want to lose your security. You don't want security clearance. You don't want to lose your uh, leadership position. You don't want to lose any of those things. So you're like, nah, screw that. I'm not going to tell anyone about what I'm going through. I'll just deal with it and figure it out.
0: Right. And, but, and the timing is also important is that they always ask that, um, you know, either before deployment or after deployment. And so before deployment, you don't want to miss the deployment because you, you want to be part of the team, and then right. after deployment, you don't want to stay anywhere any longer than you have to. Exactly. So, like the 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 fundamentals of the system make it a lot easier for people to just say, "I'm fine," right? Yep. Like, and and I think I, I think the army is kind of starting to recognize that. Um, yeah. That that was a that was a pretty pretty massive failure. Um, because i still remember right like i still remember guys talking about you know and and i've even done it you know if you say anything you're going to be here longer and you know you don't want that right exactly and and i remember e5s at you know at when i was younger just being like yeah we you know we would tell guys like don't say anything right because otherwise you're going to be you're never going to get home you know and it's just like that kind of stuff like when you play the system like that what ends up happening is a lot of people fall through the cracks. Um, and now there's plausible deniability for the military to say, yeah, they're fine. They're, there's nothing yep. we can do. They didn't follow the system, but at the same time, the system was part of the problem, right? Like the leadership was just as involved in this fiasco as the system itself. And so it's, you know, it's a, right. a big conversation.
1: Yeah. And to that point, when I came home after my brother was killed, Uh, I I came home, I was there for his funeral and um, being in the National Guard, uh, for people who aren't familiar, the the governor of the state is one of the commanders in chief, also the president, obviously, but um, the governor of the state also. And so she was at my brother's funeral and she told me and my family that uh, she was going to make sure that I did not go back to Afghanistan because so my deployment at that point was not up, but she, she said there's, there's no way that she's going to allow me to go back. So I stayed home. Um, a couple of weeks after my brother's funeral, I got a, a call from the National Guard saying that I needed to uh, uh, you know, process off of active duty because I still technically was on active duty. And where we processed into active duty was in Indiana. And so they sent me to Indiana to go finish my my processing to, to get off of active duty. Um, and they did all of the, the medical screenings, the mental health screenings, all the paperwork, you know, filling out your DD 214 and all that kind of stuff all took place there. And I knew exactly what you're just saying. If I was to tell them that I'm struggling with my mental health, I was probably going to be stuck there for quite a while yeah. uh, there, there and at the, that time, after losing my brother, I wanted nothing more than to be home with my family. Yeah. That's, that was my goal. And so they gave me like, I think I was scheduled to be there for like three days or something like that. And I got done with everything in a day and I was home the next day. Uh, and I was, That's how quick I went through everything. Yeah. Cause exactly the, the thing that you just said is I didn't wanna be stuck there any longer than I needed to be. Um, had they done this type of screening closer to home where I could have uh, gone home at night and, and been with my family, I probably would have been a little bit more honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I probably would have opened up a little bit more and said, yeah, you know what, there's probably some problems here. Um, I don't want to be stuck in Indiana with mm-hmm. nobody that I knew, like what, who, who in their right mind would want to do that? Uh, you know, and I, and at that time, I wasn't even in my right mind and I didn't want to do that. It's- it, you know it's it's
0: so funny that you you talk about this because this is exactly what happened to me right like i you know it, it wasn't the um like i said something and i got kicked back well i kind of did it. you know like the the fort knox situation in my life is i came home from afghanistan and went through fort knox i was done in like seven to ten days i don't remember exactly but then we were back in wisconsin and three days after that, I tore my ACL while I was on active duty leave. Um, and because I was on active duty leave, I told my commanding officer, um, my major, and she she sent that word up to state. And what state did was they sent it to active duty because I was still, you know, I was under a federal, uh, like, Title X orders. Um, I had to go back to Camp Atterbury, right? And and. Yep go through, like they had to diagnose me with the problem that existed because I tore my ACL um, and it was a major injury. So it required surgery. So they sent me to Fort, uh, Fort Camp Atterbury first for, I think a week or so. And then they then drove me down to, um, Fort Knox for surgery. And so I, I became a part of the medical, the medical battalion there as a, as a you know, recovering, uh, covering soldier. Um, and when I first got diagnosed, when I first got there, they were like, you'd probably be here a month before you get your first appointment for diagnosis. And so you need your diagnosis to do anything, right. That's not including yeah. treatment. Um, and so I was there for, I was literally there for, you know, th- about three weeks. I had gone through all my in-processing. It took me about three weeks to go through in-processing. And then I got my diagnosis of you have a torn ACL We can do surgery a, a month later. And then from that month, it'll probably be a nine to 12 month recovery. And this is all after like, you know, I'm in, I'm in Fort Knox, Kentucky, never been there. Right. Don't even think about it. Um, my home is 500 miles North of there. So I like, I don't know. How do I get that? I didn't have a car at the time. Right. They yeah. bust me down there. Um, and so I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out, like, what do I do? Like, how do I do this? Right. This is after a deployment that was incredibly traumatic for me. Um, you know, I was sleeping a couple hours a night at the time. So I'm like, this, this is just terrible. And so yeah. like, it's just that, that lack of empathy for how do we take care of soldiers? Because now I have nobody, I have no support structure. It's completely negated because, you know, in national guard, you go to your unit, you live near your unit. That's the, that's the reason we have national guards. Like I'm not yeah. joining an active duty because I don't want to move my, my family, you know, every three years. And it just, when I looked at the guys around uh, the medical battalion, I'm just, I'm shocked. Right. Because guys have been, some guys are there for two or three years at the time. Right. Um, because They're going through the med board process and they need to be processed out of the military where some guys are there for a year and still haven't been diagnosed because they have to have everything diagnosed before they can start the full treatment plan. And so it's like they can't do everything until like the processes in that scenario were ridiculous Mm -hmm. Um, and, and not only not to mention back in 2012, when, or 2012, 2013, when all this happened, the government was on sequester so that like half the people you were in processing and out processing with weren't there when you needed them to be. And so like when I, when I actually out processed, I had to wait four weeks to out process because one person took those, like took the first three weeks off of me, you know, so I never, I'm I'm sitting there waiting for one signature for two weeks. And I'm like, what the, what the fuck, you know, like, this is dumb. And so like this, the, the, the horror, the horror stories are real.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And if, you know, if we were ever to get in a war again, like it's, that's still there. Right. And so like, that's the, that's the, the really dark conundrum that, that soldiers and veterans kind of are stuck with is if I say anything that could happen to me. Right. Right. And you know, it's, it's a little bit different with mental health, but like a physical injury, you know, and a TBI, right. Like those are pretty well connected. Um, That can be years because a TBI can take, because it's a, a much different issue. It can, you know, it can become a really deeply, Intricate process to diagnose and then uh, treat because yeah. it's the brain, you know. It's it's so it, it's just it was rough back then, you know. And that was 2012, 2013. Now I don't know what that's like, but you know, it if I can't imagine it moved a lot, you know, move it has been changed that well because you know how the government works. It works on its own on its own time, and it doesn't really assess its processes very well, right? Um, so yeah, I mean it. It is a scary situation, and it's funny you talk about this stuff because I actually literally went through it. Um, yeah, you know, I well, easily could have, you know, done all of my recovery here, right? Yeah, but I had to be in Fort Knox because reasons.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I I had something, another situation that was similar to what you're saying, where I went to the the military doctors. I had a knee injury uh, from my deployment and I had them take a look at me, do do an exam, all the the stuff that they do. And they said, yeah, you'll probably be fine. Just take some Advil or Motrin or whatever if it, if it's really bothering you, but just stay off of it for a few weeks. And at this point it was already a few months after the injury. So I'm like, I don't know really what a few more weeks is going to do for me, but there's something wrong. Like I can't walk normally with this. I can't jump. I can't run. I can't do any of that stuff. And so fortunately I had uh, insurance through my civilian employer, um, for medical insurance. And, and so I got a second opinion through a civilian doctor and within five, 10 minutes of him examining me, he's like, yeah, you're going to need surgery. And, and so I ended up getting the surgery through, through the civilian doctor. Cause I had no confidence in the military, yeah. uh, whatsoever in their ability to diagnose and treat this, uh, whatever was, was going on. And so the recovery time was going to be about nine months where I was going to be on crutches going through physical therapy and all that kind of stuff. And that was right around the time that I was also, uh, working on getting discharged from the military. Well, once they saw me walk in uh, on crutches, they didn't want to discharge me because, They're like, okay, well, we have to make sure that you're okay. It's like, well, you tried to make sure already, but you, you screwed that up. So I went and took care of it myself. How about you just let me go and I'll figure this out? You know, it it was, it was just such a frustrating, frustrating backwards way of doing everything. It just made no sense to me. And at the time that was when I was going through all these anger issues and stuff that just made it worse. You know, and, and no one, no one
0: back then really knew how to explain like why it was important that you stick with the process because, you know, when, when you look at it and you have a military related injury, like, you know, we've, we've had, um, if there's no documentation, there's nothing right. You get nothing. And so when, when that, you know, when your knee injury that you sustained because of your deployment has no documentation and 40 years from now, you need knee replacement. Guess what? I hope you got good insurance because that's what's going to pay for it. Yeah. Whereas because you've had a knee injury and then you've documented it and you stuck with the process and the military walked you out with that medical board process, you now have disability. And whenever you have a knee surgery done or a re- knee replacement done or anything like that, guess what? The military takes care of that. The VA, yeah. the, you know, the veterans the, you know, the pool of money designated for taking care of our veterans will cover that. And that is, I mean, nobody knew that back then because it just wasn't nobody had been through the process. Right. Know? Like, like it, it, it just it, it's baffling sometimes that, you know, it took as long as it did to really to get leaders kind of informed on that. You know, and and it's it is unfortunate because I think it's still it still does happen where, you know, there's there's no one that really sits down even in demo because I, I did demo in 20, uh, 2019. Um, there was no one that really sat down and explained that to us. Right. Of, hey, did you guys have an injury? Because if you did, this is what you need to do. Right. And even on, even when you're on active duty, even national guard, right. Maybe the full timers know, maybe, you know, maybe your, 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 your staff, officers know, or your, you know, your, even your staff NCOs know. Um, but there's really not a good uh, system to help leaders know like, Hey, this is what needs to happen when we have injuries, um, you know, and, and make it as, you know, as, as, as what, what am I trying to say As as pertinent as possible, where you need to get these documents in, you need to have this sworn statement, you need to have this, uh, built because if you don't, you can't get an, you know an LOD um, and take care of these these guys. Yep. Um, and and just unfortunately that so many guys walk out walk away from the mil- from the military without disability um, without uh, at least recognition of those injuries so that when they become problems in 30 years because they will, um, they have no one to turn to. And they'll always yep. look back on their time in the military and say, well, the army gave me a my, my back issue, and they they did nothing about it, right? And it's yeah, it's unfortunate because they'll have they'll always have that tainted sense of uh, betrayal almost from an organization that was trying to win a war, you know. And, and right. un, un, it's unfortunate because the system did fail them. Um, but yeah, it's just unfortunate because it it, it creates it can create such an Animo- you know a culture of animosity in the veteran yeah. community um and, and, and really i think
1: i think a lot of that is why there's so many people who have this this negative connotation associated with the va because yeah. you know oh the va is not doing anything to help me well on the on the same side of that like you also didn't do anything to help yourself by doing all those things that you just said by by getting it documented by by doing all the, these things that you should have done um, and, and, granted, you probably didn't know that you were supposed to do these things and the re- or if you did know that you're supposed to, you didn't know the reasons why. So, you know, all of that is, is hard to, uh, just place, place all the blame on the VA because yeah. you kind of have to take care of yourself too. And, and keep all of that documentation and, and make sure that you have all of that. So you can present it to the VA if, if need be in the future right
0: if there's if there's any advice that i would give to you know either people that are about to join the military or in the military or about to get out of the military i don't care even veterans um but mostly for active duty or people that are in um is be the biggest advocate for yourself that you can be yeah uh, even if it seems ridiculous you know i don't care if you have a toe injury right like go right? Go get an LOD, go, go take care of yourself. And, and if your people around you look at you and say, what the fuck is wrong with you? You, you? you know, you're being a pussy or you're being a, you're being a bitch, like, like f- tell them to fuck off because yeah. that's advocating for yourself. And, and if that toe injury then becomes something where, you know, your balance is completely thrown off or something like that. Imagine how important that would be to have the support from military and, and Veterans Affairs financial, you know, the financial system to take care yeah. of you, right? Um, or like you know, your finger, right? And then you have arthritis in your fingers because of it. Like those right. things are just so. Just advocate for yourself, right? Keep your documents. Tell tell people you want it looked at. Take the time because it's your body. You know, you only you get you know somewhere between three and twenty years, maybe more. Um, to give to the army or the military uh, and then assuming you live a long and healthy life, you still have 60 years to live. Right. You know? And, and, and so if, if you don't, if you don't take care of your body, right, if you don't take care of um, the, the s- situations that have hurt your body and you don't have anyone to support you, you're going to live a life of pain. And I know you don't want that. So take care of yourself and advocate for yourself.
1: And all those people who call you a bitch for going to get looked at and get examined, get the documentation, all that stuff. Not a single one of them is going to be standing there 20, 30, 40 years with their wallet open, helping you pay for whatever it is that you need at that point. So screw them, like go, go take care of yourself.
0: They're going to be the one with the back injury complaining about the military. Like they, they should be prepared for this, but you know, I didn't do my LOD. Yeah. Right. Like, And, and I don't want to make fun of those guys. Like, but at the same time, that's the reality. Like if you don't, if you don't advocate for yourself in 40 years, you're going to, you're going to be complaining about the fact that your back is literally broken because you've had a ruck on your back for 14 years or something like that. um, And your lumbar is just completely fucked. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, at some point you've got to, you've got to swim against the fish or swim against the uh, swim against the stream. And go get what you need taken care of and it might it might require you to stick in the pocket of you know either ridicule or patience you know and should yeah. and just go get things taken care of so that the military can cover you down the road
1: exactly um, yeah you kind of have to play the play the game in order for it to work yeah. uh, you know you, you can't just play by your own rules and expect it to Work out for you in the end. It's just not going to work. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So Scott, um, where you know, like, obviously, I mean, we get it. We get this stuff. Um, But what what have you kind of learned throughout your time doing these episodes and and talking to all the people that you've talked to? What what are what are some profound wisdom? uh, What's some profound wisdom that you've kind of gained from? your podcast? Like, what do you kind of, how do you see the world now versus, you know, even before the military or during the military, where, what are you seeing now that you didn't see then?
1: You know, one thing that I see now is just how strong of a community, the military and the veteran uh, community is uh, combined all together. we, look out for each other. Uh, I, I know that the people who come on my podcast, they're coming on my podcast because they legitimately want to help other people by sharing their story. They don't know who these people are. They may never even get any feedback from their episode that they record with me, but they know that by sharing their story, it might help somebody and they're willing to do just about anything. Um, when I, when I talk to people, I, I always make sure that they're completely comfortable with whatever it is that we talk about. Um, if they tell me that there's, there's something off limits, we don't touch it. Um, but anytime I have someone come on the show, um, they're like, you know what, just shoot, just, just give me, give me whatever you got. I'll answer anything because I know that it's out there to help other people. Um, and that's. That's going back to the, the whole you know, selfless service kind of attitude that, that gets instilled in you from like probably day one of basic training, right? When, when you're, you realize it's not just about you, it's about the guy to the, your left, the guy to your right, the, the people who are there with you um, going through the cr- same crap situation that you might be going through. You're there for each other to help each other out. Um, and you may not know these people, you may never see these people, but you know that there's someone going through this crap, and you want them to get out on the other side uh, better off than they were going into it. So, um, you know, I the thing to me that that really uh, was eye opening was just how strong this community is, and I'm, I'm very grateful to be a part of it, uh, to to be there for the people who. Are struggling, help them helping them out in any way I can, um, and, and I know all the guests that I've had on this podcast, they've they have a, a very similar feeling where they want to help, and that 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 to me just means so much. I, there's no there's no other community that I've been in anywhere else outside of the military uh, that is stronger than that, and and that to me just means the world.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's quite a it's a special place, you know, in, in, in life to be a part of a community like that. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, what, what, one of the things you're talking about is courage, in my opinion, you know, where the, the message is far more important than the emotions or the vulnerability or the ridicule or the, you know, the judgment where, you know, guys like you and I, we step on a podcast, you know, for sometimes daily, um, where we, we have these conversations where, you know, for me, I get emotional, you know, because I, I, I talk about some, not only things from my past, but like, for me, what, what I get emotional about lately is the future um, of just how powerful it is to go through all the things that I've been through, and then realize, like, I'm about to have a baby, I, you know, I, I have a wife, I have all of these things that I never thought I'd have, because I thought I'd die young, you know, I, you know, not only just by my own hand, but like, I really hoped at one point that I would just die in Afghanistan. Like that was a real, that was a real thought and a tangible thought. And the emotional part for me now is recognizing that I'm actually going to have the things that I never thought I would have. Right. Um, and so that vulnerability, I think now what we're doing as a community, as veterans is we're redefining strength, Right. Because you, you said that word, right? Like we have such a strong community. But I think what we're doing now is is we're redefining strength as the ability to create safety um, because we're doing something, we're talking, right? And we're not talking to um incite violence or incite change or anything like that. What we're trying to do is we're trying to look at other people and remind them that it's okay to be a part of this community. It's okay yeah. to talk about the things that you've been through. It's okay to express yourself. It's okay to feel. Um, it's okay to have mental health issues. It's okay to to put those, you know, put your struggle in someone else's hands and say, what do I do with this, right? Right to yep. relinquish that hyper independence that the military almost kind, kind of trains you into. Um, and, and that really, you know, one, it requires, you know, to redefine what we've always traditionally looked at as strength, because we've always kind of looked at strength as, you know, suffering silence, you know, and that, that mentality clearly never got us to, to, you know, perfect the perfect positions in life it got us through things um but it wasn't going to get us through everything um and so we i think we're learning kind of how to balance the the equation now and say like hey we can have safe conversations here between two infantry guys that you know 20 years ago we never would have been talking about this stuff no way no absolutely not we would have been ridiculed we would would not have been listened to and if we were we'd be judged um and so now we're in a position where we can actually have these conversations, and be and and people respond to us of like, this is necessary. This is so needed, you know. Yeah. This is so powerful, um, because I'm thinking the same stuff, right? You know, I, I can only imagine how many veterans right now, right? It's 2022. How many veterans are thinking like, man, I I'm actually gonna have. A life, right? Like thinking back of like, I almost didn't have a life. I almost lost my life so many times throughout the years. And now I'm sitting here with, uh, you know, a family. I have a family here that I, I can actually hold. This is real, you know, this, and it's, it's a weird feeling to kind of step into that for the first time of that recognition of realizing what do I do with this? Right. Like, yeah. how do I, how do I enjoy this? You know, these are the conversations that veterans, I think, really need to have is because you don't have to just suffer all the time. You know, I think that's an unfortunate kind of symptom of being in the military is that you get really, really fucking used to suffering and you just do not have to all the time. You can actually, you know, you can have your cake and you can eat it, too. right? You can enjoy this, you know, and that's that's a selfish thing. That is just as necessary as being selfless.
1: Yeah. And you get, you're right. You get comfortable with being uncomfortable in the military and, and that's true with all sorts of things that you do, whether yeah. whether it's going, going away on a deployment that that's uncomfortable. Sorry, I mean yeah. you are away from home, you're away from family, you're away from the the comforts of home. Going you're- to drill is uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. Right? it is. Like yeah.
0: I, it- I just had drill this last weekend. Yeah. I'm I'm tired right now. Like this for Monday is is more of a day off sometimes after drills, but it's usually my work day. And I'm like, I'm still tired. You know, yeah. I never I didn't get a weekend and now I have to go back to a full time job kind of thing you know exactly and
1: and you don't get a weekend until next week and yeah you, you know or this, this coming weekend and uh, think about all the things that most you know quote-unquote normal people do on the weekend <laughs> right uh, you, you might be uh, finding something to do with with family or friends maybe it's uh you know a birthday party or uh you know a wedding that you might might have gone to but instead you're you're sucking it up and going to drill and you're you're doing all this this crap that you might not even want to be doing, but you're, you're doing, it's definitely not relaxing. It's not unwinding at all right. from the week that you just had, but here you are dealing with this suck and you're, you're doing it like a champ. You're, you're doing it. Um, but, but it sucks. And and so you get conditioned, you get used to doing that kind of stuff. And it's, it's that kind of attitude and, and mindset that you, you carry forward with you, and it's like, okay, well, yeah, it sucks, but it's a, it's fine. I'll 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 be okay. I'll just deal with it, right? And that's it, it, not what you need long term. You know, yeah. it's okay to get you through those situations that suck because there's going to be life is just full of those. So you're going to have those, and and you do need to get through those. So it, I think it is an important tool to carry with you, but also recognize when things don't have to suck. Like you yeah. can be okay with. Relax, like relaxing and, and taking time to take care of yourself. It's not selfish to do yeah. that kind of thing, you know, yeah.
0: I think, I think the kind of the, the statement that I, I hear a lot of men, men use, and I use it myself a lot is like, we get presented with a problem. And the first thing that we say is, I'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. And you use that and you abuse it right because Mm -hmm. because it almost becomes you know you look at like your wife asks you to do something and you say i'll figure it out right yeah your son asks you comes to you and you're like i'll figure it out right because one you don't want to put more pressure on your wife you don't want to put more pressure on your son you don't want to put more pressure on people by saying i can't do that right now um and you don't want to disappoint people because you know that what what leads to disappointment in the military was potentially death right yeah and so like this there's this overarching emotional connection to you have to figure it out. But then what you end up doing with that is you create so much of a workload, you create so much of a, um, an emphasis on you have to figure it out, that it's, it becomes overbearing, it becomes a burden, it literally becomes a burden. It's not you that's the burden, it's, the, it's, what, you're, it's what you're asking your body to do that it can't. Mm -hmm. Right. And so oftentimes when I hear people say, I feel like a burden, the fact of the matter, isn't that you are the burden. It's the fact that you've allowed everyone or everything to burden you with all of the things. And you don't know how to say, I can't do this for you. You'll need to figure it out. Right. And, and they've more oftentimes is people have taken the responsibility for everyone else's issues and their own, and tried to figure it out and they can't. And so now they place all of that personal failure or that that failure out there of being able to handle the problem on their own character and personality. Yeah. And that identity then becomes crushed and it's it's unhealthy, right? Like you can't you have to be able to regulate this ability to say, I'll figure it out because you don't have to figure everything out you just yeah. have to figure out the things that are a priority to you and the people that are your like your family right sometimes mm-hmm. you might have to say wife i can't figure that out until then or i can't figure it out right now and i don't have an answer for you right because i've got this yeah. going on right that ability to express yourself and communicate where your problems are where your needs are um is so fundamental to this idea of being able to you know help yourself and and mm-hmm. you know enjoy life because let's be real like you won't enjoy life if you are constantly burdened with the responsibilities of everyone around you
1: yeah Jeez. yeah and I, I think I think it's a curse that that we have as as guys is we are the the problem solvers like we yeah. if someone Sometimes my wife comes to me and she starts talking to me about a problem that, that she's having or, or something that's going on. And I instantly snap into that problem solving mode. Like, how do I solve this? But sometimes all she wants to do is just talk about it. Yep. it it's not that she's looking for a solution to the problem, but yeah. I'm, I'm over here working out solutions, trying to figure out different angles to to work through this problem. And she's like, that's not what I was looking for at all. I'm like, oh, and yeah. well, well, why are you even talking to me about this? Like, you know, like... It, yeah. I, don't, I, th- I think a guy's mind is just wired differently. Like we want to solve problems, but it's most, okay
0: to not. I think the most important question I ever learned in my marriage was, do you want me to fix or do you want me to listen? Right. And like, when you yeah. start asking that question, you can learn how to turn yourself off, right? You can yeah. turn, you know, I'm not here to fix because she just wants to express herself. She wants to expose, you know, these, these vulnerabilities, like, because you're safe, right? Like when you're a husband, you know, or a wife, you mm-hmm. are this, you are their safety net, right? You are that yeah. safe place where, you know, I think women are a lot better at expressing emotions sometimes, not always, right? They have they right. oftentimes have their own, um, you know, intricacies that they have to figure out, but that that ability to vent is a really powerful powerful ability. We could learn from that, right? Like, we don't need to give, you know, we don't need to walk up to someone and say, I need you to, I need you to solve this for me. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you need to vent. Sometimes you need to be angry, right? And, and express yourself. That's why men are more, I think are more likely to have a heart attack than, than women. Maybe, right? Maybe that's a cause. Maybe it's not. Um, But maybe it's why men commit suicide four times more than women do, right? Is because, Maybe women have the ability to express and expose emotions a lot easier than men. And maybe that's a cultural thing. Maybe it's not. But uh, clearly, there's there's something going on where we need to have the ability to expose, express, be vulnerable, find safety. Um, and so maybe we should be learning from our wives about, you know, hey, hey, sweetheart, I need you to just listen to me. I don't need you to fix. I don't need you to do anything. I just need you to listen to me. I got a lot of stuff I got to get off my chest and you say it. Right? Yeah. You know. I don't know. Maybe if maybe that's a thought.
1: A <laughs> thought, yeah, it definitely is and and it and it might be a very good thought, you know. We we got to maybe put that one to the test.
0: Right. I I think I I think I try it. I think there's times where I I I walk up to my wife and I say, I, I, you know, I need to, I need to get this off my chest. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think it does. I think it works for me. Um, you know, I, I do it rare. Cause I'm still, you know, I, you know, as you said before, it's like, we're all still a work in progress. You know, there's, yeah. there's always things that, that we need to work on to better develop ourselves and connect with people. Um, mine has always been expression. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know how to express guilt right away. I don't know how to express regret right away even. Um, and so, you know, there was a time where I, so I, I recently purchased a Kestrel, right? Um, Cause I'm, I'm a long range shooter and I've been shooting long range for like 15 years. And it's the first time I've ever actually owned a ballistic calculator, which is a Kestrel. Um, and so it was like a pretty big purchase for me, but it was an expensive purchase. And normally I always talk to my wife about those bigger purchases. Um, and I didn't, I I don't know why I just didn't. And I felt guilty about it for like a week. Um, and, and finally, like we were getting out of the car one day, I'm like, babe, I need to, I need to tell you something. And it took me a week to process this and, and look at her and say, I bought a kestrel and it wasn't the more expensive one. It was the cheaper one. And she was like, okay. And that was it. Like, that was the conversation. I was like, I don't know why I couldn't tell you that sooner, but I felt guilty the whole time from, from the day I, that, the, because I, I bought it at like 11 o'clock and she had already gone to bed. Yeah. Um, and I'm like that whole night I thought about it. Right. And I just didn't tell you, you know, there's multiple opportunities for me to tell you just didn't know how um, like we had the money. It wasn't a problem. You know? and, and, and it was just that there's, there's always this piece, right. Where you're, you need to work on. And it, it was practice, right. It, that was the kind of thing where I sat down and I was like, why did that take so long? And you, you learn to start digging into that sometimes and, and practicing it. Cause I, I might not have told her, you know, three, four years ago, These are, these are things that I'm still working on and addressing of like, how do I process guilt? Because it's questionable sometimes, right?
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I I know exactly what you're you're talking about because I I've done the same type of thing where I I've gone out and bought something. And again, my wife and I, we talk about all sorts of bigger purchases. We, we have a, a set dollar amount, anything over that or anything under that we, know just go ahead and you don't need to talk about it but uh anything over that we we typically talk about and and a couple times i've just not thought about it and i i went off bought it and and uh then afterwards i'm like oh man i I really should have said something I, i should have talked about this first because you know this was our agreement we we said we we're gonna do this, and so then I, I bring it up to her, and she's like, well, you know it, it's fine, but you know let's talk about it next time and and so um you know it, it's just it's a like you said, it's a practice you you yeah. have to you have to work at it and it's not a, a reflex where it's just easy yeah. and and it happens naturally it, you kind of have to work at it,
0: yeah, and it can be i mean that that kind of thing is i think more common than than we might care to uh care to think uh because it can be certainly quite crippling in a relationship if you don't have the ability to talk about things you're guilty of right right? when you when you make a mistake how do you bring it up is it how is it received right having those conversations um are remarkably difficult and i I think Mm -hmm. if you're if you're going to have a relationship you really want to be able to you know feel guilt and express guilt uh, to a person that's not going to crucify you, in, you know, in whatever way, right? Like, that's just not yeah. a, that's not an enjoyable way to live life. And, you know, it, it's just, it's hard. And certainly if you make a mistake, you should hold yourself accountable, right? That's partly sure. why, you know, I've, you know, I feel guilt for a week for buying a, you know, buying a customer. It's like, that's my accountability for myself of like, I don't do that very often, right? I don't, I don't make a grand purchase like that very often. And So when I do that guilt is a reminder for me, in some ways, to make sure I don't, you know, abuse that that freedom that I have of having, you know, a debit card or something like that. Right. Um, you know, and and so it's it's not a bad thing, but why did you know? For me, it's the question of why did I not feel safe to express it sooner? You know, and maybe it was just not the right timing, or maybe it was forgotten for multiple days, but. You know, that digging into that
1: question is really good for your relationship, I think. It is. You know, and yeah, and, and it could even just be as simple as embarrassment. Like I, I feel embarrassed yeah. that I went and spent that kind of money on something that was a you know a guilty pleasure kind of thing or yeah. or uh, whatever it is. I, I feel embarrassed that I went and spent that kind of money without talking to your your spouse or you know, whoever first and when you're embarrassed you don't you don't want to face that head-on that's like weird it's awkward it's uncomfortable no one wants to yeah. be embarrassed and, and get that dirty laundry out there right so so i mean it could be something as simple as that and um but it it's important to face those things and get that get that out there for like you said for the, the good of your relationship great yeah. So.
0: yeah yeah well scott it's i mean we could we could talk for hours we could um i'm sure but let's, I think we should probably wrap this up so we can uh, go about our business today. Um, If there was, I'm going to ask you the question, then we can talk a little bit about how to get in touch with you and you know where you can find your book and stuff. So if there was one question, I'm sorry, one message you could leave the world, what would it be?
1: Uh, I think the message would be that it's okay to, ask for help, not just with regards to mental health, although that's certainly true as well, but for anything, uh, we're talking about, you know, we're, we tend to be the, the problem solvers and we, we tend to, uh, want to take the weight of the world and put it on our shoulders and, and carried around so that our, our loved ones, the people around us don't have to carry any of that stuff. And it's okay to ask for someone to help. Um, That to me is such a powerful thing Uh, just just to ask for help. It doesn't matter how small the thing is. It it could be uh, asking your your kids to pick up after themselves or asking them to take out the trash or something or or do the dishes or or whatever it happens to be. Uh, It could be something very small. Um, But that one less little thing that you have to do in that day frees you up physically, mentally, it frees you up to be able to, uh, to be able to focus on the bigger picture and the, the things that are actually important in life. And so it's okay to ask for help. And I think if I was to leave the world with with anything, I think that would probably be the message I'd like to leave.
0: Yeah. And I think it's a good one. You know, that that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll always get the answer that you want. Right. But I think it's important to understand that you can ask the question. Right. And, and, you know, it's always important that it's, it's important to know that when you ask that question, or if you don't ask that question, you'll never get a yes. Right. And Mm -hmm. so if you ask the question, you might just get what you want. And if you, and you might not, but I can tell you, if you don't ask, you won't get anything.
1: You won't get shit. That's a guarantee. Right.
0: Absolutely. Right. Like, very few people are going to walk up into your life and just be like, you know what? I'm going to help you with that. Yeah. Even though you didn't even ask me, it's like, that's how, how often does that happen to people? It's so remarkably rare that like when it, when it gets, gets caught on camera, it's like, wow, this is, this is a wholesome moment. Right. Right. We don't have all that many wholesome moments in our lives. Like yeah, 99.9% of your life is going to
1: probably not be that wholesome. you know? Right. So, well, it, yeah, ask. exactly. And, and it's actually Kind of awkward if if someone approaches you, right? There's a a older woman in in the grocery store parking lot. She was struggling to get some something heavy out of her cart, and I was trying to, and and I saw she was trying to get in into her trunk, and and she was struggling with it. And so I I walked up to her and I I said, "Can I help you with that?" And she looked at me like I had three heads, like like I was just like what are you insane? Like, why are you, why are you approaching me? me. (laughs) How dare you? Like, I don't know you don't talk to me. Right. And and it's like, I'm just trying to be the nice guy and and help this, this lady out. I mean, I don't know how she's going to get out of her trunk once she she gets home, but that's her problem. Right. But I'm, (laughs) I'm here now and I I can, I can help. So I'll, I'll help if I can. And, uh, uh, needless to say, I didn't end up helping her. Cause she was just like, Oh no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. But, but it's like, right. you know, you're right. It's so rare that it's actually looked at as like, okay, what's your, what's your real motive here? Like, are yeah. you, are you going to rob me or, you know, whatever, like what, what's right. the deal? So, you know, it, it's, it's rare, but you know, asking for help, I think doesn't have to be rare. We, we can, we can normalize that, I think. And, and yeah. that, that should be, um, that should be done more often. Absolutely.
0: I love it, Scott. Well, how, how can people one get in touch, you touch with you? We'll make sure it's in the show notes, but, but how's, what's the best way you think to get in touch with you? And then also, um, what's the best way to get your book?
1: Yeah. So, uh, the best way to get in touch with me, uh, go through my website, driveonpodcast.com. Uh, there's a contact form there. Uh, my email is on there as well. Scott at drive Uh, you can go there, check it out. Uh, contact me uh, if you want. Um, for the book, uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, it's in every conceivable format that you could think of. It's paperback, hardcover, ebook, audiobook. I got, if if you want it, it's there. Um, so you can check it out there. Uh, again, the, the name of the book is Surviving Son. Um, and so just check that out. Um, really appreciate any anybody who gets the book, reads it. Um, because again, like I said uh, earlier, it, it's, it's not just my story, it's my brother's story. And it helps to have this story live live on years and years after he and I are both gone. And so the more people who read it, it just to me, um, it, it's just encouraging knowing that there's somebody out there who knows a little bit about my brother who maybe never met him before. And and that just helps keep his memory alive. And, and so that's that's the big thing for me.
0: Absolutely. Did you do the audiobook? I did. Good. Yeah. I, I think it's I think you have to like if you're gonna write a book, I think you have to be the one to do the audiobook. You know, I I just think that's that's awesome. I did my own and you did your own. I think it's yeah. I think it's an awesome experience for readers.
1: It is. Yeah. It, I mean, a, as the narrator of, of it, it, it's not the easiest experience because not I, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but I, I have so many brain farts as I'm reading it and, and I'm like, like i i sound like an idiot right now reading this and so i have to go back and cut that stuff out and and do okay. it all over again and it it came out fine the 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 book itself the audiobook the final copy came out uh sounding sounding good but man did that was that a humbling experience going through I, and doing that i
0: 100% learned that i i do not like reading yeah. uh for and that that is a fact like i you know it, it, i don't care how negative i'm going to be about this right like I don't want to read. I don't like reading. I don't yeah. I don't enjoy reading. I will listen. That's why I do a podcast because I will listen to you all day long. But if you write some things on a piece of paper, I
1: do not want to read it. I, that's what I learned yeah. from
0: recording an audio book. And I'm okay with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I mean, uh, I, I think some of my high school English teachers would probably have a heart attack if they realized that Scott Deluzio wrote a book with how <laughs> terrible I was in English class, right? But um, but yeah, that, that's the same thing with me. I would much rather listen to a book than read it. And so uh, I don't know why I started off with the uh, the paperback copy of the book, but whatever. That's, a, I guess, <laughs> right. a natural progression of things. Right. Um, you know, I, I kind of needed it written down in order to, to read it myself. So uh, I guess that's just how things go. So, uh, but yeah, it's out there. It doesn't matter how you like to consume books it's out there in all the different formats so um please check it out i really really do appreciate anyone anyone who supports it so
0: perfect we'll we'll make sure again all those links will be in the show notes so people can access them i absolutely enjoyed this conversation i'm so i'm so happy you were able to come on and and we were to make we were able to make this work technology was always interesting with with our with this podcast yeah um between you and I, i i don't know why um but uh, we made it work, made it happen. It's been great. Um, Thank you again. And if if you're still listening to this, anyone out there, thanks for joining and we'll catch you next time on the Dylan Experience. And that is it.